Welcome everybody to Equipping the Body. I'm Dr. Brad Starnes and today we're continuing through the book of James and um, we're going to pick up in verse 17 where we left off but we'll also be tying it back into what we've read so far. So I was just re-recording the sermons that I've preached but I uh, I lost the notes for this one so this is kind of going to be a freehand recording if you will but um, James is, and I, I think I've mentioned this in the past, but it bears mentioning again. One of the things that makes the book of James so difficult uh, for a preacher is that James is employing the string of pearls uh, way of teaching, very very Jewish way of teaching. In other words, James will talk about one idea. He will then move to another idea, and then before he's finished with that idea he goes back to the first idea Uh, and that happens several times in chapter one and so in order to preach through verse by verse you have to be okay with repeating yourself because uh, James bounces back and forth several times now the rabbis did this because number one it shows people how different scriptures tie together and how some thoughts uh, and biblical principles are connected, even though they may not seem connected, but also it it served to hold the attention of the audience, okay, and so that that string of pearls uh, way of, of teaching, very Jewish. Now, this makes perfect sense because James, the half brother of Jesus, was ethnically and religiously Jewish. And he's writing to uh, the church at Jerusalem where he was uh, a leader that was predominantly Jewish. And so um, there's, I mean, there's just so much evidence for that. For example, James, in some ways, I, I call him the New Testament Proverbs because he gives us proverbial sayings like, don't do this you know, this this or that, like little wisdom sayings that seem kind of disconnected even though they are loosely connected uh, by the string of pearls. And so James is a um, very interesting book, very deep book, um, but that's enough rambling. So let's dive back into the text. But I want to back up and I want to read verse 16 because I believe it connects uh, with the following. So, James 1.16 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. And we'll stop right there. So James says, Do not be deceived. Now, last time I connected that with being deceived by sin, and I believe that's what James had in mind, but because of the string of pearls way of teaching, of connected, connecting ideas uh, loosely, I believe that he also meant it in this way, and this may be primary. Now, I've read after commentators and, and, and scholars that uh, differ with me on this. Uh, Alistair Begg believed that uh, verse 16 was not just part of verse 14 and 15 pericope, but that verse 16 was meant to connect these two thoughts, okay? Uh, I I can't remember if it was Calvin or somebody else that didn't see it that way, but whatever. 
Okay, that's, that's moot. Think about what he talked about in the previous verses. He talked about how God does not tempt us with sin because God cannot sin or be tempted with sin. Okay, and basically sin is our own fault. And then he goes on, he says, do not be deceived. God gives good gifts. So I think in a sense, in a very real sense, that verse 16 is balancing, hey, God doesn't cause sin. God causes good things. So don't get it twisted. Don't deceive yourself because God only gives good gifts. Okay, so that's how it connects with verse 16. Now let's kind of hone in on verse 17 where he says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. God gives gifts to his children that are good and that are perfect. In fact, that's the only kind of gifts that he does give to his children because he is full of grace. Um, Another word I like to use in exchange for gifts here is the word grace because grace is unmerited, unworked for, undeserved favors. So let's start right there. Before we even get into the gifts, let's just start right there. Do we deserve gifts from God? Absolutely not. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. David said, I I believe it was Psalms 51, don't hold me to that, that in sin my mother conceived me. In Genesis chapter 8, God told Noah that the imagination of man is evil from his youth. And if that's not enough to convince you, Isaiah said that our works of righteousness are filthy rags. So even the good we do is tainted and not good enough. So the fact that God would give us anything is grace because we don't deserve anything but condemnation, eternal hell fire. That's what we deserve. You say, well, Pastor, I don't deserve that. Well, Romans 6, 23, again, for the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. And everyone who's ever lived has sinned except the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, the incarnate deity. Never sinned, never could have sinned, never would have sinned, never should have sinned, never has sinned, never will sin. Jesus Christ, perfect today, yesterday, uh, and forever. Okay, but mankind, all of us, we've sinned. So let's just establish that, that we don't deserve anything good from God. Now let's move on. It says, every good gift and perfect gift is from above. Now, there's a play on words here in the Greek language, and I love that, that there's two different words, uh, dorema and doris. So, dorema, if I remember correctly, is the act of giving, okay? And, And doris is the actual gift itself, okay? And so, God not only gives good gifts, but the way in which he gives them is also good. So think about that just for a moment. That God gives good gifts, but he's the best at giving them. Dosis, I'm sorry. I knew I got that wrong. Every good gift, dosis, and every perfect gift, dorema, 
is from above. So dosis commentates the gift itself, and dorema commentates, connotates the actual act of giving. No, I got that confused too. It's vice versa. Either way, I'm sorry. My Greek's a little rusty this early in the morning when I've only had one cup of coffee. But the point is this, that the gifts God gives are good, and the way he gives them are good. That is amazing. Now, let me give you an illustration. When I came to Cedar Shoals Baptist Church, I, as the youth pastor, okay, and then the door opened up to be the pastor, I was several classes short of my master of divinity. The church received a check from Liberty University for $5,000 because a previous employee of the church whom the church funded his school dropped out of school and didn't tell nobody. And so the school sent the money back to the church. Watch this. If you figured how many classes I had left with the military discount, which is one of the reasons I'm very pro-Liberty University, not just because they've got a great D1 basketball and great D1 football program, uh, is because they really take care of their veteran students. But with that factored in, my remaining bill to finish was $4,950.00, and the check the church received back was $5,000.00, $50 to the good. And the deacon board at that time of the church said, listen, we didn't know this was coming back. It's the same school. That's got to mean something. And uh, here you go. Go finish your master divinity. Let me tell you what that was. God gave a good gift in a good way, in an amazing way, in a way that we had to turn around and say, this is from God because there's no other explanation. What are the chances and so it was not only a good gift, but the way he gave it was good, and it led us to give him the glory. And you say, well, what about the 50 extra dollars for the church? That was just icing on the cake. That was just some more unmerited favor dumped all over top of it. That, that, that was the whipped cream that goes on top of the banana split. I mean, that, that is the way God operates. Gave a great gift and gave it in a great way. The best way. Now, let me reveal something else that's at play. Remember what I told you, string of pearls, okay? James talks about one idea, goes to another idea, and then sometimes shows us how those ideas are loosely connected. All right, very Jewish way of teaching. What was James talking about previously, previously to the, the idea of good gifts, and your faith being tested, he was talking about trials. Trials. And your faith being tested through trials. What does that have to do with good gifts, Pastor? Some gifts God gives us, they come in the form of a trial. This is going to help somebody. And we don't see how good they are until after it's over. 
That's right. We don't realize it's a good gift in the moment. Okay? But when it's over, we go back and we see that was a great gift. Let me give you another example without going into detail. As a pastor, you, you run into all kinds of stuff. I mean, and you got to deal with people. And you got people that uh, are saved and serving the Lord in your church and doing what's right, and you love that. You got uh, you got some that are that you 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 know you see fruit in their life, and but they're still growing. You know, well we all are, but you know what I'm saying. Maybe they're a little bit behind, uh, and that's great. You cheer them on, and then you have, and I don't I don't care what church you go to. There's usually at least one. You have a wolf, and a wolf has no fruit in their life, and they constantly cause issues. Um, and there's just there's, but but Jesus was clear. We have to be careful because if you tear out the the if you take the tears up, you might hurt the wheat. So you kind of have to be careful. Um, I had a pastor one time tell me. I said, "What do I do about a wolf?" He said, "Just keep preaching." And if you keep preaching the book, eventually they won't be able to take it anymore, and they'll just leave, which is always great. Best revival is a backdoor revival. So, anyways, had a situation. Uh, didn't involve a wolf. I don't even know how I got off on that. But I had a situation where there was contention and there was an issue. And it was miserable for me because it had nothing to do with me, but because I'm the pastor, I've got to handle it. And I was like, oh, why is this happening? But here we are several months later, and I can see where God grew me. Even though the situation had nothing to do with me, but I was forced to be involved because by virtue I'm the pastor of the church, God grew me in my sanctification, in my patience, in my wisdom, through that trial. And so what, you, what I used to view as a trial, and it was, I now say that was a good gift because God gave that gift to me. Though it was a trial, it made me more like Jesus through the process of sanctification. The Holy Spirit's conforming us to the image of the Son. So that's another example. Sometimes in life, God gives us gifts, but the wrapping paper is not too appetizing. That's where wisdom comes in. But that's a different subject for a different day. So every good gift and the way he gives them comes from above. Now, we see the source comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Notice the language, the Father. Jesus said, that, you know, do not parents give, and I'm paraphrasing, give their children's good gifts, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good gifts? This tells us of the character of God, that he is a God of grace. Now, he's a God of wrath, too, and he's not playing games, and we'll get into that in James chapter 2, where we'll see how serious he is. But at the same time, he is a God of grace who gives good gifts to his children, though we don't deserve them and though we don't always see them as gifts, he lays them on abundantly and with grace. 
This shows us the character of God, that he's a giving God, that he's a loving God. When you love, you give, John 3, 16. For God so loved that he gave. Which brings me to the last thing I want to pull out of this text. What is the greatest gift? Now, now just think about that for a moment. If God is the giver of good gifts, okay, we've established that. If he gives the best gifts, we've established that. If he's the best at giving the gifts, remember Dor- Doris and uh, Dora and Dorema that play on Greek uh, play on words in the Greek that the actual gift and the way it's given, we've established all that. Do we deserve the gifts? No, we've established that. Then the next question is, well, Pastor Doctor Starnes, what is the best gift? that God has ever given us. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm so pleased to tell you the best gift that God has ever, ever, ever given anyone is Himself. R.C. Sproul said the greatest need of man is to know God. And we are revealing not only knowing Him in a personal way by salvation, but knowing His attributes, and one of them here is grace. But the greatest gift he's ever given is himself. Jesus is the ultimate gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his best gift, himself. Now I thought he gave Jesus, Pastor. Well, that's where your theology needs to be addressed. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Old, old Doubton Thomas, I believe it was, if memory serves me correctly. Well, when in the world have we seen the Father, Jesus? No, that's paraphrased. That's the Campabella translation. I don't I don't tote it, but I quote from it sometimes. When in the world have we seen the Father? And he said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John said it this way in a much more poetic theological uh, way of doing things. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The greatest gift God has ever given us is himself by virtue of the incarnate deity, the man, Christ Jesus. Now, I could stop right there and we could say amen, but we need to go deeper. And all this from is implied from just not even a whole verse. We need to go deeper. What makes Jesus the greatest gift? Well, I've just got a couple. There's a bunch, but I'm not smart enough to list them all out. We don't have that kind of time. I've just got a few, if you'll bear with me. Number one, how about he saves people from hell who repent? Now, that's a pretty good gift. I mean, i got to say, I like that a lot better than the watch I got for Christmas last year. I mean, hello. How about he saves people from hell? What, What greater gift than eternal life? You know, somebody could go out and give you a Ferrari. That'd be a great gift, though. I would rather have a brand new Camaro, but that's me. But how about God gave you eternal life if you repent by faith? That's a powerful gift, man. That's a beautiful gift. That's an eternal gift. And that's a whole sermon in and of itself, but let's keep pushing the buck. Let's keep going further. What what's some of these fringe benefits of the ultimate gift? How about this one? A friend that sticks closer than a brother. 
If you're saved, you've got a friend. You say, well, I don't have that kind of friend. Sure you do. What a friend we have in Jesus. Haven't you ever heard that? You have a friend that will talk to you anytime. In fact, he, re- he wrote you an entire book, 66 actually. Hello? You have a friend that will listen to you anywhere, anytime. He's, it's never too early to call him. It's never too late to call him. You don't have to have a phone to call him. Thank God for that. He will listen to you in complete compassion and care. No wonder, Peter said, cast all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. If memory serves me correctly, and it might be 1 Peter 1, 5. I can't remember now, but the point is the same. Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. One of the fringe benefits of knowing Jesus is having that friend that sticks closer than a brother. Not only salvation, as we've addressed, but a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I'm sorry it was First Peter 5, 7. I had to double check in the scripture. How about this? I've got one more, and then I'm, I'm almost out of time. Every good and perfect gift from comes from above. How about the gift of the Holy Spirit? The gift of the Holy Spirit. That you don't have to be, live like they did in the Old Testament where the Spirit of God would fall and depart. Fall and depart. But rather that God made a way that His Spirit could dwell in the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls who would come to Him in faith. That's a gift. That's a gift. That God is with us always in us. David would have killed for that. Take not your spirit from me. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to pray like David. Holy Spirit, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit lives in you right now. And that's never going ever going to change. How good of a gift is the Holy Spirit, Pastor? Well, let's ask Jesus. Jesus said, it's better for you. If I depart so that the comforter can come, it's better for you to have the comforter in your heart wherever you go than to have me limited to one place at one time during that current time that God, that Jesus emptied himself and took on the flesh of men. So according to Jesus, the Holy Spirit's the best, I mean, the, the literal, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, manifestation of the best gift. So it seems to me that James is well justified in suggesting that not only does every good gift come from God, but the way God gives them is the best way. And we've looked at these gifts, we've talked about how the ultimate gift is God himself, and I'm telling you, we have but scratched the surface. In fact, Paul said it in the book of Ephesians that we've been given every spiritual blessing in high places in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing. Man, I wish I had time to dig into that. So Paul agreed with James. You know, it's funny. Luther, God rest his soul, I'm sure, always believed that Paul and James were at odds. No, they weren't. Paul taught the same thing James taught, just from a different angle. And that's one example. Every good gift. He is the good God of grace. And we'll get into the rest of verse 17 next time. I hope this has been a blessing to you.